You are about to listen to Pastor Dominion Jiga, the lead pastor of Brace Up, a ministry aimed at bringing Christians to the Bible standard of word, prayer, and evangelism. Be blessed as you listen. Tithes, offerings, and givings. Who? Over the past um, couple of months, there's been a lot, a rave concerning tithes, offerings, and givings in the church, and um, that's not why we are studying the topic today. We're studying because it's a biblical topic, and we're studying the believer and his money. And we've come to see, like we said, that. There's a lot of talk in the Bible about money, actually. And um, there's a lot of talk in the church about money also. Just that. They are not, they are parallel talks. Do you understand? What the Bible is saying, and what some circles are saying, are parallel. They don't meet. They don't agree. And money is so crucial... I would see why in this particular teaching. Luke 11, Luke 18, let's start from Luke 18. Luke 18 is a very interesting um, story. And um, if you don't study it carefully, you might lose a lot of lessons that are in it. Luke 18, verse 18. There. The Bible says, A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Are you there? Response, are you there? Luke 18, 18. Read together, one, two, go. And a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's Important to realize that this is not a parable. It's a non-fictional event, meaning it actually happened. Do you understand? So this is not a story to teach a lesson. This was a real conversation that happened between Jesus and a man that is known as rich young ruler. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, the rich young ruler. And um, for my introduction, I'll take an aside. I'll talk about something that is not too related to what we're talking about today, but I think it's helpful. First of all, we realize that this guy knew how to ask the right question to the right person. I mean, who else qualifies to answer the question on how to receive salvation aside the Savior himself? So he came to Jesus. You know, not everybody asks Jesus the right question. No. In Luke chapter 12, a guy met Jesus and said, Tell my brother to divide inheritance among between us. Jesus said, Who made me a judge among you guys? 
this guy had mastered the art of asking the right people the right question and it is something to learn in the age and generation we are where people are very very proud not only don't they ask the right people the right questions they don't ask questions they just assume people that don't go to church tell you how churches should run people that don't read their bible tell you what pastors should preach Master the art of asking the right question to the right people. If you ask your own believer friend how you should run your relationship, he will give you an answer that has plenty examples in the world. The second thing you should learn about the YouTube ruler, this is all of this is an aside. Is that he was performance based say performance based and in some context it is the right thing to do he came to ask Jesus the question with an intention to do what Jesus said not the way we come to church today where we just come to listen and go back he would ask questions evaluate your answer weigh the cost and do it So, have the intention to do what you learn. Come with the intention to do what you've been taught. Praise the Lord. We usually come with the intention, I'll study, I'll look at it later. Which we never do. Come with the intention that this, I'm going to be educated. I'm going to be taught. And I'll begin to act on the word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, this guy was young, rich, and he was a ruler. That's like the vision of every young man. Young guy, let's say his age, maybe put him in his mid-twenties or late-twenties. So, let's say he's 28. Let's say he's 28. He probably has built a company for himself, got a lot of money. The Bible actually said he was very wealthy. And he had people he, pre- he, had pre- um, he presided over. And that's a lot of responsibility for a young man. His story is a very shocking story when you think about it critically. Praise the Lord. And he did not get his wealth by fraudulent means. Do you understand? He didn't get his wealth by fraudulent means. Let's put more life to this guy. Now, verse 20, so that we can see him clearly. Verse 20, he said, I'm reading from the NIV. He's, so he asked Jesus, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, You need commandments. Now, pay attention here. Look up. I feel like Jesus selected the commandment he picked. Those that this guy might shoot a young guy that has a lot of wealth and had a lot of people he presided over might have fallen into or fallen short of. Now, look at them. 
You know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimonies. False testimony. Do you understand? Honor your father and mother. It looked like he picked them for the guy. Guess his answer. All these I have kept since I was a boy. So this was a rich young guy that was not promiscuous. Do you understand? He didn't kill someone to make money. Neither did he steal someone's money. And he didn't tarnish someone's image. Do you understand? To get a good contract or to make wealth for himself. He was a person of honor. That's like leadership goal. Just like a role model. That's who this guy was. But Jesus didn't think that was okay. 22. Are you there? Are you in verse 22? Alright, let's read together. One, two, go. When Jesus heard this, he said unto him, You still lack one thing. Hold on. I'm sure the guy was like, Really? I have kept all these things for when I was a boy. But Jesus said you still lack something. So what is it? Jesus said, sell everything that you have. You, know, you guys think Jesus was joking. Come on, he couldn't have meant that this guy should sell all that he had. That's why he says it's a parable. It's a real story. Today, we are not used to obedience. Like, we just, when we are giving instruction, we just wait, do the way we want to do it. Obey the path we want, leave the rest. For us, the teaching of the word is like, um, say, chewing gum. You take what you want, you throw the rest away. This wasn't how this guy was. Jesus legit meant sell everything. Imagine you were to sell all that you had to gain the kingdom. Some of us might have second-guessed a little. Like, ha, are you sure? <laughs> this thing. And guess what? He wasn't even promised. You know, these days, preachers preach that when you, you know, when you sell all that you have, God will give you double. That was not what Jesus promised this guy. So I wanted to see this guy really is. He was someone that was told to sell all, all the wealth he had accumulated. And this guy wasn't even a bad person. So he didn't accumulate the wealth by false means. So God, what is your issue with me? What's your issue with me? And so Jesus says, so all that you have, give to the poor, and you would have treasures in heaven. He said, then come, follow me. The Bible said, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Very. Have you seen someone that is very sad before? Have you seen, maybe you're walking on the road or just passing and then you see someone that is angry, discernibly angry. You know something is seriously wrong. 
But you can't just approach a person because I don't know you. You might just beat me up. Have you experienced those kind of things before? The person is even probably grumbling. That's what happened. That's how this guy reacted. He lost his charismatic and his cool front. You know, the rich young ruler. Oh, Jesus, how are you? Good to see you. What can I do to inherit eternal? Cool guy. When he heard this, the Bible said he became very sad. He lost his cool. Of course, if it was today, that's not what would have happened. So you just smile and go away. Then the media will take, Jesus wants to collect the guy's money. I know what you'll have said. Give him some time. Give him some time to think about it. But when you remember that someone wanted to go and bury his father and Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Ah, it will have been a tough situation. All that you have. We have tendencies to think that the instruction Jesus gave is customized to this guy. It's for them, not for us. But see, from the Bible, it's a biblical chain. That there is a direct relationship between your hope in God, your attitude towards money. Those that trust in God don't put their trust in money. Praise the Lord. Your attitude towards, it's a biblical doctrine that your attitude towards money demonstrates where your hope lies. Your attitude towards money demonstrates where your hope lies, the way you handle your money shows without fail where your hope actually lies. That's the underlining principle in that conversation. So I'm going to show you a couple of other events where the hope of people, their heart towards God, was tested by their attitude towards money. Same book of Luke, this chapter. This was the story of John the Baptist. In verse 7 and 8, it says, John said to the crowd coming, the crowds coming to him. Let me take it again. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. Brood of vipers. Wow, what a good way to start your sermon. <laughs> he said, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Are you, are you with me? Are you with me? Response, are you with me? His, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the common wrath? What, what does he say next? Want to go? Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. That's what the NIV says. What does KJV say? Bring therefore fruits worthy of. So he said, All right, you guys are doing like you're interested in God now, right? Produce fruits that, de- that demonstrate the state of your heart. They're like, Okay, cool. Now, these are people that are performance based. They're not like 
people today that are not ready to do the word. These guys are ready to do the word. So when he said it, they asked him a question. Okay, how are we going to produce those kind of fruits? Look at it. Verse 10. What should we do then? The crowd asked him. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share the one with the one who has none. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Can you see that? And anyone who has food should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to him to be baptized. The teacher, they asked, what should we do? He said, do not collect any more than you than are required than you required to. So this is what he told them. Then the soldiers came and asked him, what should we do? And then he replied, do not exact, um, extort money and do not accuse people falsely. Be contented with your pay. So three groups of people asked him a question, what should we do? What fruit are we to produce? The first was the crowd, the second was the tax collector, the third was the soldier. And for all the three groups, he said things that had to do with financial or material things, resources. If you have two shirts, give to him the has none. If you have food, do the same. The tax collectors came and said, what should we do? He said, don't extort people. He said, let more than is required. Money. The soldiers came. He said, don't extort people of money. And be content with your pay. That was the fruit. That was the instruction he gave to people. That asked him, what fruit should I produce? To show my change of heart. Money. So you see, what Jesus told the rich young ruler. That his attitude towards money should demonstrate his hope was not customized to him. It was a general instruction. Praise the Lord. It's a general instruction. The way you handle your finances says a lot about the state of your heart towards God. Produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Produce fruits that demonstrate your changed thoughts. If you see your heart is changed in Christ, produce fruits that are consistent with that new heart. And primarily, John the Baptist talked about things that had to do with money. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I believe verse 13, Paul calls it the obedience, that generosity is the obedience to the gospel. Obedience, obedience, he calls it the obedience. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's very serious. Now look at another instance where Jesus associated generosity with change of heart towards God. Go back to Luke chapter um, 19 this time. Okay, I've seen the book of Luke here. Yeah? So chapter 19. Interestingly, this is the chapter after the rich young ruler's um, story. Luke 19, from verse 1. Who, 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 who. Pay attention. Jesus entered Jericho 
and was passing through. A man was there by the name Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was because he was short. He couldn't, he could not see over the crowd. I mean, he couldn't see, you know, the way Isaiah just looks over people and just sees. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. This is an aside, but this is another rich man that knew how to be in the right place. Do you understand? Like the rich young ruler, just, they just knew how to position themselves. But never mind, it's an aside. Back to the story. Verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said unto him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay in your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be guest of a sinner. So Jesus was someone that associated with sinners. The pastor does something similar to this today. The news will carry it and they'll start looking at him. He's supporting a party. <laughs> Praise the Lord. This was a guy that got his wealth in a fraudulent way. This guy wasn't like the rich young ruler. He defrauded people to be wealthy. And Jesus went to meet him. Let's see how the conversation went. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Oh, this is beautiful. Now, unlike the rich young ruler where Jesus actually gave him an instruction, look at what Zacchaeus said. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I gave half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I pay him back four times the amount. Now that's intense. That's intense. First of all, as introduction, half of my possession I'm going to give to the poor. I don't know if you've tried to picture doing that before. Praise the Lord. Half. Then this is one that defrauded people. He now said, if I have defrauded, I'm going to give four times of the remaining half. That's almost everything. But he did it gladly. So this guy was giving almost all of his possession gladly without being asked this is a demonstration of a heart that has changed because Zacchaeus was a greedy man he had defrauded people and had become wealthy out of it and it had become common knowledge they said Jesus was going to the house of a sinner he himself said look if I had defrauded anyone okay four times it's not because he has plenty of money that he can now give. 
I know we sometimes think, oh, the reason why he's able to pay back the people he has defrauded is because he has a lot of money now. But this is the thing. He was a greedy man. And greed can never be satisfied. Have you not looked at the way politicians in our day embezzle money? You're like, ah, don't you get tired? Like, is that not literally too much for you? Because greed cannot be satisfied. Zacchaeus was demonstrating a change of heart. Jesus saw it. And look at his response. Verse 9. But once he said that, once, uh, once he, um, he said, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back. You see, the writer made you to see that there was a correlation. That once he, he mentioned that, Jesus didn't wait again. Jesus replied by saying, Today, salvation has come to his house. This is because this man too is the son of Abraham. His attitude towards money demonstrated that he had a change of heart, a heart that was looking unto God. Praise the Lord. Is it clear? Now, notice something. That in all of those cases, there was a generous distribution. Jesus told the rich young ruler in chapter 18, all your possession. And he wasn't speaking figuratively. When Zacchaeus said, half of my possession I give to the poor. Then if I have cheated anyone, I pay back fourfold. That is a generous distribution of his wealth. John the Baptist said, If you have to, clothes, give to him that has none. If you have food, do the same thing. It's about generous distribution. Open, um, isn't Matthew 5? Let me see Matthew 5, 27. What does it say? No, no, no. What I'm looking for is not Matthew. But let me see. let's look at what's Matthew 5. Okay. I'll come to that. I'll come to Matthew 5. What I'm looking for is, I think it's in the book of Luke. Jesus said, Give to anyone the access of you. And then when you give them, don't give it the intention of collecting. In another instance, he spoke about the generous giving to give to the poor. And we saw the early church practice it. Praise the Lord. So it's about generosity. Now, If generosity is the goal, huh, then we have a long way to go. But we start somewhere. Do you understand? 
We start somewhere. We start somewhere. So how do we start? How do we go about it? Do we just pack all our things and give to the poor? Or divide our possessions to half and give to the poor? There has to be a system to, number one, as it were, to reach your generosity. You have to at least have a system where you reach your generosity. If your income is not the same all your life, it means that at a point, giving 1,000 might be generous. At another point, giving 5,000 might be not generous. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there must be a system for you grading and marking and saying, okay, I'm growing it. Because you have to desire to grow in your generosity. It's a demonstration of your hope, like we have seen. Do you understand? It's a demonstration. It's a, it's a marker. It's a very strong marker. Such that Paul had to call it the obedience to the gospel. Can you imagine that? Jesus had to say, look, you can't serve God and money. And then he says, where your money goes, there your heart goes also. Praise the Lord. So what is the system for training yourself in growing in generosity? Guess what it's called? Tithing. 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 I like what Randy Alcon said in his book, Trap Principles, I think that's the name of the book. He said, Tithing is not the ceiling of giving. It's the floor. If generosity is the goal, Tithing is not the ceiling of giving. It's the floor. It's where we start from. He calls it the training wheels. You know what training wheels are? You know when they bought bicycle for your younger brother if they did buy or your neighbor's child. But the bicycle had two extra tires by the side so that the guy would balance and not fall. It's called training wheels. When the guy grew up, they just they probably broke the tire or something. That's what tithing is. It's to train you and then you grow from there. You don't continue to use the training wheels all your life. You know the meaning of that? It means that you don't continue to just be at 10% all through your life. You grow in generosity. Now, p- listen, I'm not teaching tithing as an ordinance. An-, an ordinance means that if you don't do it, it punishes you. But that's not what I'm teaching. We are saying we have a changed task. And we demonstrate it by generosity. But just as you didn't just suddenly begin to pray as fervently, pray as consistently, you know, and even in duration. Do you understand? Just became a believer and suddenly you're studying Bible for 10 hours, then the remaining 10 hours you use it to, to read, to pray, the remaining 4 hours you use it to evangelize. That's how you're 24 hours. No. You stay growing. I've seen people grow from 5 minutes prayer time to 15 minutes to 30 minutes and they're growing. You see? So they're growing. But there was a system that was in place. How, how long do you pray? 
five minutes. All right, keep going. Then you can grow from there. How long do you study your Bible? Once a week. All right, add Sunday. Is when? Only on Sunday. Or add Wednesday to it. Sundays and Wednesdays. Before you know it, the person is growing. The person is growing because there was a system in place. Praise the Lord. So even in generosity, you grow. So don't think that the plan is 10% all my life. No. Goal is generosity. And so a system helping you grow is put in place. Praise the Lord. Alright. I think that's simple enough. Um, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Leviticus 22 Leviticus 22 verse 30. 27 actually verse 30. I think it's a logical place to start. That's where God started up with the children of Israel. Leviticus 27 verse 30. Let me reiterate that I, I'm not teaching tithing as an ordinance that if you don't do it, God will punish you. No. You have a changed heart. There are just many reasons. Number one, you have a changed heart and you demonstrate your change of heart by generosity. Number two, which is what I'm about to talk about now, you are thankful for what God has done and you demonstrate it by your generosity. I'm going to teach on an aspect of this next month where I teach on the story of Israel. If you know what God did for Israel, if a guy did to a lady what God for, did for Israel, they will have wondered what the lady has done to his head. To say, guy, how far? Praise the Lord. God showed them extravagant love. Like it was too, it was too much. Number one is change of hearts. Number two is gratitude. Demonstration of gratitude. Now look at um, Leviticus 25, 27 verse 30. It says, The tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or the fruit of the trees, belong to the Lord and is holy to Him. Now, if you don't know the backstory very well, you might not appreciate this. Here's the backstory. This land, they didn't work for the land. The land was a gift. The resources they were using were a gift. All of it was from God. Everything literally came from God. When they were leaving Egypt, they were given resources. So these are people that came into a land Imagine, imagine you came into a land, you own a farmland, big expanse land that you did not buy, was given to you. The resources to get the grain and probably the grains also, you did not buy. And then as gratitude, you say, 10%. I think even without asking, you'll be too thankful to say, look, a land I did not work for. These guys were slaves from Egypt. They didn't have a land of their own. And now they are here. Owners of land. You know the way we do testimonies these days now? From tenants to landlord. We give glory to God.
It's a show of honor. In Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. It's called honor. You honor the Lord with it. KJV is the one that says, Honor the Lord with your substance. The NIV says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the fault, it, it's so it's a demonstration of honor. Do you understand? It's a de- like, I'm, ah, ah. you know, the opposite of what's the opposite of honor? That he has done so much for you, and you just go on like that. You say, Thank you. Now, this is even the children of Israel, he has done bigger for you. Now, listen, question. If he asked them to pay for all that he did for them, do you think their wealth, their entire wealth, will be able to pay for it? So what is 10%? Let's come to you. If he asked you to pay for what he did for you in Christ, what is your wealth compared to it? What is the wealth of the whole world put together compared to what he did for you in Christ? You honor him. It's your substance. He's just saying thank you. Praise the Lord. A demonstration of the state of your heart towards God. Number three. Because you actually want the kingdom of God to spread. So you systematically grow in your generosity. Because you actually desire for the kingdom of God to spread. Now like I said. If this of your, if um, where you put your treasure um, is where your heart is. It means you have to grow in the proportion of your income that you are giving for your heart to grow in its inclination towards the kingdom. How many of you understood what I just said? I'll say it again. If where your treasure is, is where your heart is, it means that if you are giving 1,000 this year, but next year, God has afforded you so much privileges that one giving five thousand is just play. It's not up to ten percent. Maybe now one thousand is ten percent, but say next year, or next month, five thousand is not ten percent. It would mean that you are giving more financially, right? When you're giving five thousand, but in terms of proportion, you are giving. Is it clear to that point? That means the state of your heart towards the kingdom has dropped. Is that clear now? We're not in class when I taught it. Some of you can have me like you're blank. How many of you need me to explain it again? Let me see your hands up. Alright, so let me go over it again. It's not about the amount you give as much as it is about the proportion of your income you are committing. 
Generosity is not about amount as much as is the proportion of the whole income you're giving. So if you're making 5 million and you're giving 500, um, 5,000, you're giving very little. If you're making 5,000 and you're giving 1,000, you're, you're giving a lot. It means your heart is so in the kingdom. So, you grow in proportion of your income that you're giving. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart would be. You know when you look at your income and say, this is the treasure part. Do you understand? So as you grow in proportion, your heart yields more, yields more towards, towards the kingdom. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Glory to God. So, tithing is training wheel. Now, people think you can't that. Why do we have to make it a, a certain proportion? I think, we are, like I said, money is usually very controversial. If you say that, okay, guys, let's train everybody, you know, 15 minutes in the morning, or our regular prayer times, let it be 15, 15 minutes, 15 minutes by 6 a.m., 15 minutes by um, 10 a.m., like that. Everybody, oh, okay, okay, thank you, thank you that's fine. Remember, that's beside your structured prayer time. I hope you guys understand. All right. Good. Everybody's like, that's fine. All right. Everybody, let's read social book per week. All right, that's fine. Everybody, let's give 10% of our income. Why are you putting it? It's not a law. It's a rule. Why are you giving us rules? What's that? How many of you got what I just did? A heart problem. Praise the Lord. It's a heart problem. So, tithing is the training wheel. Newsflash, you're giving as it were. Would ultimately exceed your tithe. <laughs> I like that response. You're giving. Would ultimately exceed because if tithing, of course, tithe means ten percent is the floor. It means you are going somewhere. Question: What would you call what Zacchaeus did in Luke eighteen? Tithe or giving? Sorry, giving. What would you call what Jesus was asking the rich young ruler to? Tithe or giving? What would you call what the early church did? When they sold lands and brought, would you call it tithe or giving? Thank you. So, you are a learner. When it comes to tithing, it's because we are learners. Ultimately, our giving exceeds our tithe. Is it clear? Now, Yes, this is not what I'm saying. I'm not saying in every every meeting, your offering will be more than 10% of your income. And that's practical. For example, in Bristol, we have, we have like how many meetings? Nine meetings. No, more than nine, like 12 meetings a month. If you're giving even 10, 10%, you have to go and borrow. 
to complete the board. We don't even give in all our meetings. We give in eight meetings a month, Sundays and Wednesdays. We don't give on Fridays. That's until peace starts pressuring me that we should start giving on Friday. But, <laughs> but even if you're giving 10% in every meeting, you'll have given 80% of your income, which is not practical. Or at least, I don't think it is. I think some people actually do it. They give 90% of their wealth and or deliver by 10%. Okay, what I'm saying is, when you now calculate your total giving for the month, you realize that it's more than 10% as you keep growing in your generosity. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you can decide, like, look, I want to give 40% of my income. I could give my tithe. And then in all of my offerings, I, um, what's the word now? You calculate it in a way that that remaining 30% is spread. Is it clear? Anyhow, or you can just say, you know what? I give the 40% and then keep freestyling. But the essence of one of the things I want to disabuse our minds about is the culture of giving 2020 Naira, 30-30 Naira. I probably even prefer that if you have decided that I want to give 30% of my income, 20% of my income, do you understand? Now, if it's 10% you want to give apartheid, don't spread it. Give it and start growing from there. Do you understand? But I want us to grow beyond that culture of 20-20 Naira, 30-30 Naira. 50-50 naira. Now, of course, this is me assuming that we are above that. You get a hair. Now, if you're not, then that's fine. But I think there's something about your value system. When you're comfortable with that level. Now, I'm saying that if you're above that level, but you're comfortable doing it. You understand? When you want to give even a child money, you feel like, ah, huh? 20, you think of the child 20 what can he buy? He can put maybe 15 in his hand. We want to give your friend money, send recharge card. It's, we give like 100 bucks on me. We want to subscribe. You think of 500, 1k, 1.5. Then once you look at the offering basket, you just think of 20 naira. There's something about your value system. You want to buy something, they're like, how much is my change? 30 naira. Do you have it? No. Keep the change. Then you look at your offering basket and you have 40 naira. Like, hush. Okay, I have 20 naira in one bag. You're not going to check. Just to make it 30 naira. There's something about your value system. Do you understand? So, tithing is a training wheel. Learn to grow your generosity. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart to be. You can, you can, you can mean from that statement of Jesus. It means if I want to grow my commitment to the kingdom, I grow in my generosity. It makes me more conscious of the kingdom. This is a personal thing. It's not something beyond tight. I, I, I won't impose on you. Do you understand? But that's to train you. That's to train us. But make it a point of duty that you listen to God's word like this concerning the issue. So that your heart is steered more towards generosity. I want to see the kingdom of God um, expand. There's more that we can do. Do you understand? The truth is, ministry is very expensive. I told Peace about an amount 
that's um, not us, pay, but um, the ministry I love and respect will be paying for rent. She reacted like, is, is it possible? Does this happen in this world? A very huge amount. But it is for the gospel. It is so that souls will be saved, trained. Sometimes we don't understand these things. But let me, let me help your mind. Because of the things you began to learn about the gospel and all of that, you are more equipped to help other people. Do you know how many people are confused and don't know anything? They are going to church every day. They're reading their Bibles, but they are still confused. They don't have clarity. There are people that have read their Bible more than you. Prayed longer than you have. Evangelized to more people than you have. But are not sure if they are going to make heaven, quote and unquote. There are people that are in that situation that are not even sure if God loves them. For them, their love, the love of God towards them is dependent on how much performance they have done. And that's a bad place to start. Stand. Do you understand? But you like this, because of the little you know, or the much you know relatively, you can put them in a good place. And from a place of delight, they can do more. From a place of, oh, God loves me. He's done so much for me. And I'm grateful. They'll do more than they have done before. Zeal without knowledge is very terrible. Paul talking about the Israelites. He says, my prayer and heart desire for Israel is that they would be saved. So now you would have thought he was talking about a terrorist group. Because we know that Paul is a person that understood salvation. And so if you say, my prayer and heart desire, you think, oh, these are terrible people. We just pray that they be saved. Let God deliver them. He said, I bear them record that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is how important knowledge is. So there are many people in this city that have zeal for God. What they need is knowledge. Do you understand? What they need is knowledge. There's more that we can do. There's more that can be done. And so I commit myself. Praise the Lord. So I grow in generosity. I use the training with to be trained and grow from there. Until again, it's beyond my tithe. In the name of Jesus. Please hurry up in your feet and just pray a little about that. You can just confess God's word. You can just declare that I grow in generosity. I grow in generosity. In the name of Jesus. I grow in generosity. In the name of Jesus. I grow in generosity.